0: Man, I am so excited. You guys are my family, and I am officially a Floridian. So we're just even more connected. I mean, it's so exciting I even have, like, one of those cool Florida's driver's license. I got it, and I was like, man, this is so much cooler than Alabama. Alabama's lame. Florida's where it's at. You know what I'm saying? There's, like, manatees everywhere and oranges. It's the paradise, you know? Uh, but I, I'm so excited to be here. I, I genuinely mean that. Uh, my wife, Lexi, and I consider this place family and home, and Pastor Otis and Pastor Stacey, the entire Barnett family uh, are, are just... Uh, are, parents to us, and they—they we share the same vision, same heart, same DNA, and we're so excited to be here. And I'm honored to share the Word of God with you. Uh, listen, I've been hearing stories about what God's been doing here at Calvary, and you guys are in such a special place. I I always like to refrain from using the word season because seasons come and go. You guys aren't in a season, you're in a new place. You're in a new place where it's gonna be the new normal. Amen? So I I believe that this morning and um, I know they're probably watching right now from California, so we love you, we bless you. Thank you, Pastor Otis. Um, And if you would turn your me in your Bible to Luke chapter number 10, Luke 10 verse 25. Luke 10, 25, as you're turning there, I'm, I'm going to go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you uh, for your presence. I thank you for what you're doing here at Calvary, for the move of the spirit that's taking place here, for the lives that are being transformed, for the souls that are being saved. God, we give you praise. We give you glory. We give you honor. We thank you that the best is yet to come lord we agree for that we believe it in the mighty name of jesus everyone said Amen. Now, Luke 10.25, this this portion of scripture is very popular. Uh, I know we've been studying it in Sunday school for years. It's like that story. And uh, so I want to ask you to bear with me because I'm going to shine a little bit of a different light on this. This is something that uh, God really challenged and spoke to me about, uh, this story specifically. And um, uh, I don't know, how, how many 90s kids do I have in the house? Bless God, 90s were the best. You know, especially if you were a 90s Christian kid. Like, do you remember the 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 cartoon McGee and Me? That deserves an Oscar. Like, come on. Like that was that was brilliant cinematography. You know, if you have not seen McGee and Me, go YouTube. It's all the episodes are on there. I know, trust me. I've been raising my kids in it, praise the Lord. And um I was watching this one episode and um you know, the, I'm, I'm, I don't know why I'm sharing this, but I was watching this one episode with my kids. I, trust me, my kids were there. I promise. And uh, we're watching it, and uh, they begin to tell the story about the Good Samaritan. And I've heard this story countless numbers of times. You know, I, I've always liked this story; it's always stirred in me. But when I heard it, I'm, there was just something on it. And I said, man, I've, I've got to go read that again. And as I began to read through it and study and look into it, God began to stir my heart for what I'm going to share with you today. So Luke 10, 25, uh, it says this. Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? I already don't like that guy. was <laughs> like, who are you? Why are you here? Like Just some snarky lawyer. Anyway, verse 26. He said to him, what is written in the law? Jesus said to him, what's written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered rightly. Do this and live. Should have been it. Sounds like a very, you know, sounds like a little Facebook post going on. Should have been it. Just leave it right there. But no, old snarky lawyer had to go to the comment section. This is what he said. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, Well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place... Came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. He set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. And so Jesus replied and said, go and do likewise. Now, when I begin to read this story, um, I, I begin to get so stirred Uh, because I, I begin to see something in a new way. You see, because the Bible talks about here in this place, there being two individuals that passed by this poor man who was beaten and robbed and left half dead. In this moment, we find two characters of the story, a priest and a Levite who were going, who, the, who were the ones, we've got to understand contextually what the priests and the Levites were of that day. The priests and the Levites were the spiritual centers and cores of that day. They were the leaders. They were the televangelists. They were the ones who were like selling books and podcasts and the nice hair, you know what I'm saying? Like they were the dudes, you know, it, it, they were the ones who were carrying the spiritual weight of the day and the priests, obviously, you know, as priests, they were the ones you could not just sign up to be a priest. There was not seminary to go to be preschool. You had to be born of the lineage of Aaron to become a priest. And when you became a priest, you up. Instantly became, you know, when you stepped into that role, you carried the weight of a priest. You wear certain garments you carry. When you walk through the marketplace, everyone saw you as being a spiritual leader. Then on the same hand, you have the a Levite. Now, the Levites, the Bible said when the children of Israel were given portions of land in the promised land, the Levites were not given a portion of land for God was their portion they were the consecrated ones they were the ones that were set apart fully given to god so here you have these two extremely spiritual individuals whose entire life is built around god yet in this place they walk past someone who's hurting and someone who's broken i love that it says even the levite like stopped and looked like dude you're jacked up <laughs> like you know what i'm saying like ooh, there's some blood there. Like, ooh, I don't do well with blood. You know, like, ooh, like, that's gross. You just got beat up. You know, he probably took a couple of pictures on his phone, put it on his story, probably put like the praying hands, like, y'all pray for my brother. And he's like, bless you, sir. Black God bless you. And, and he just kept walking. And and as I, I look at that and I say, okay, here's these two extremely spiritual people who were Their entire life was consumed with God, consumed by spiritual drives and purposes. Here, I find something that began to really convict me, and I I had to go down a journey with the Lord of asking this question, because this is what I'm afraid of, church. This is what I'm, that scares me in my heart, that's when I look and see it, is I, I don't want to be a church. I don't want to be a Christian who's good at singing songs within the four walls of a building and who's good at making spiritual posts and who's good at reading devotionals, but I don't care about the lost. Amen. And I'm, I, I'm afraid I'm starting to see a, a, a scary trend in the church as to where our pursuit of revival has gotten skewed And we're not actually pursuing revival. We're pursuing good church services. Does that make sense? And it's funny because even when I talk about like, uh, you know, when I even I I don't really share thoughts like this a lot because I'm afraid I'm going to have like a watermelon thrown at me. But since we're in Florida, like an orange thrown at me or something like I've I've had to ask myself this question over the past couple years because I, when I was at the ramp, I was over the missions department and my like entire world was like studying missions and cross cultural ministry. And I'm reading the biographies of like David Livingston and Hudson Taylor and uh, all these great men of God, William Carey, who laid their life down for the gospel, who've given everything to win the loss to Jesus Christ. And I'd have to ask myself this question because I would see, and then I would look at the statistics and say, wow, there's, there's still 3 billion people on the planet who've never heard the name of Jesus. Ne- they've never heard the name of Jesus. You go up to someone, certain places in, in India, and you say, hey, can I tell you about Jesus? Have you met Jesus? And they'd say, oh, I'd love to meet him. Is he with you on your group? Like there's, there's places across the world right now who've never heard the name of Jesus. Jesus. You show them a picture of the cross, they have no clue what it means. They're like, "What is that?" And I look at that, and then i i I tend to look at some of the 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 certain like streams and and different things like that that people are getting so caught up saying, "God, do this, God, do this, God do this," and God's looking at us, and he's saying, "No, no, no, you do it." Amen. Does that make sense?" And I've had to ask myself that question God is 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 revival biblical? <laughs> there is like an orange coming. It's like, yes, it is. No. Hear me out. Hear me out. Because yes, yes, yes. Trust me. I, I was on staff at Brownsville Assembly of God. I, i, I yes, I burned for revival. I tr- yes, amen. I can quote Leonard Ravenhill to you. <laughs> Like, I, I, I have a heart and a passion for that. But what I started to see, especially in my personal revival doctrine, so to say, I begin to see that in reality, I was wanting God to do what I was called to do. I was wanting God to come save my city. I was wanting God to come do this and God to come do that and and God to do these things that in reality, when I look back at it, the book of Acts didn't operate like that. Can I tell you, the book of Acts, they didn't need revival. They were revived and then they walked in that place of being revived. If I'm in a constant state of needing revival, what does that indicate? I'm not healthy. Imagine going to Outback Steakhouse, bless God, (laughs) blooming onions, half off for a limited time, you know, I just love (laughs) Outback Steakhouse, order me some cheese fries right now, like, um, anyway, I, I imagine going to Outback Steakhouse and them having to carry, you know, you having to carry a little, uh, you know, they call them the uh, emergency medical realm, a crash cart, which is one of the things you know you see on TV, like clear. I can imagine having to carry one of those with you at all times, just because you'll be talking. All of a sudden, you just die, and then your like wife's like, "Hey, oh, it happens all the time." Clear, and then he's like, "Oh, I'm great. I'm revived." That's not how we're meant to live, because when Jesus saved me. I've become alive. I'm fully alive right now. And as, a, as long as I walk in biblical obedience, seeking him in prayer, seeking him in the word, I will remain alive. And what I find, what a lot of people deem as radical in the Bible was actually just normal. It was just normal. There, there, Peter wasn't radical. Paul wasn't radical. These people weren't radical. They were just normal. And I I don't know about you, but I, man, I've I've just gotten so convicted about this that said, Lord, like, are you, are we waiting on you? But in reality, you're waiting on us. And obviously we're called to wait on the Lord and we're called to seek God. And listen, I'm believing God to invade this nation. With his presence, I believe in that 100%. But at the same time, I'm not going to sit on my couch and watch Netflix being like, hey, God, if you could hurry up and send revival, that'd be great. But until the meantime, I'm eating Dunkin' Donuts and watching Netflix. And then I walk outside, and it's like this revival wonderland. like Everyone's getting saved, and I'm like, praise God, this is so wonderful. No, like, because that's, that's not going to happen. No, he's given us a great commission to go into all the world, preach the gospel, Lay hands on the sick, see them recover. Cast demons out. Raise people from the dead. So I want to challenge you today. To be like this Samaritan individual, and I'm gonna point out three different aspects of, or three or four different aspects of who he, who he was, what he did that caused him to stop and truly fulfill the great commandment. Because I believe as we're called to number one, love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus put it this way when he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and your strength. And then he says this, and the second is like it love your neighbor as yourself. And when we truly love God, the natural reaction is for us to love people. So listen, there's a few things that I believe went into the account that caused the Samaritan to stop for the one. The first thing is, was he had compassion. Somebody say compassion. Now, this compassion, I believe the center, the root of compassion draws from the Samaritan... Being able to have sympathy and empathize with the guy who was beaten up on the ground. Why? Because Samaritans, as you know, in that day they were viewed as outcasts. They were shunned from society. They weren't allowed to come worship in Jerusalem. They weren't allowed to enter into the temple. They were viewed as unclean. They were view- viewed, you know, they were viewed as people who were just kind of like, yeah, you know, we're, we're the we're the Israelites. You're the Samaritans. Let's keep our Distance. They were rejected. They were isolated. And I believe that when he saw the person hurting on the ground, I believe that in that place he was able to have compassion. And I want to tell you this in order for us to truly have compassion, we've got to remember where God has brought us from. We've got to remember what God has brought us out of. Because, listen, we've all got some testimonies up in here. Praise God. Some of y'all got the scars to prove it. You know what I'm saying? Some of y'all shaking y'all's heads like, "Yeah, I got a." This one's from a beer bottle being smashed over my head. You know, like this is from being a. Ch-, you know, like some of y'all got. We got some stuff. We've made some mistakes. We've been there. We've done that. We've all done things we're unashamed of. And listen, this is what I want to challenge us with, especially as believers, as Christians who love God and burn for Jesus. It, Obviously, we're not called to live in our past, but our testimony is meant to be a trophy of the goodness and power of God. Like our entire lives, we should always carry that within us. Remembering, man, I remember what God did in my life. I remember how bound I used to be. I remember being an alcoholic. And, you know, I remember being addicted to drugs and being on the verge of divorce. And God came in and saved my life. Always allow the Lord to keep that in a tender place in your life. And as he does that, when we see people who are lost, we will not judge or condemn them. We will love them. Like, you know, even as believers, I find it so interesting that we get so shocked that sinners sin. You know what I'm saying? How dare you sin? You sinner. I wish I had a stone that I bought from Lifeway that I could throw at your face. You know? We obviously don't say that, but we think it. You know what I'm saying? We, we'll, we'll be out in public and we'll see someone in a lifestyle we don't agree with, and we'll uh, you'll have your day. You stand before God, and obviously, we're not called to condone sin. We're not called to like sin and approve it and say, "Hey, yeah, you just keep sinning." Your, you know, yeah, God loves you. Right? No, 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 no. Obviously, God loves them right where they're at. But in that place, we know that abundance of life is living free from sin in a relationship with Jesus Christ. I believe that when we see people lost, we see people bound, we see people broken, rather than it cause us this Ugh, thing, it should cause us to love them. It, it should cause us to go to prayer for them. It should cause us to hit our knees in the secret place, say, God, reach these people for your kingdom. God. God, save them. Look, you know, when you see people partying and, you know, especially when I moved to Tampa from Hamilton, Alabama, going from Hamilton, a town of 6,000 to Tampa, Florida, it was like a whole new world. Like, man, like y'all have invented some new sins. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, just to be really transparent, it's good to be around some lost people. It's good. Obviously, I'm not of the world. I don't, I have zero pressure. Let me, let me just clarify that. I don't do any, I'm not of this world. Therefore, I do not feel any pressure to, I'm just going to have a glass of wine to make everyone feel. No, I'm going to turn that wine down. Bless God. I don't, I'm not of this world, but I am a light to the world. And being around people who need Jesus reminds me people need Jesus. And hearing a cuss word every now and then keeps me on my toes thinking, man, I need to pray harder for this world. I need to, I need to intercede harder for this world. I'm gonna pray for you individually. Being around people who don't know Jesus keeps me stirred in a place to pray for them until they encounter Jesus. He had compassion on them. Number two, the, the Bible says, he bandaged his wounds with oil and wine. Can I tell you this as well? The reason why sinners sin is because they're wounded. It's because they're broken. Like no normal person is going to be like, you know, I think I might go get a pub sub later. I don't know. You know, I've never tried meth. I might, I might pick some up on the way home. You know what I'm saying? Like no one ever is like, man, you know what? I think I'm just going to go like rob a gas station. Kind of bored. Don't we have anything going on tonight for the next few days? Let's do it. Where's the where's the ski mask? You know, like no one does that. The reason why people are engaging in this stuff is because they're broken. They're searching for fulfillment in Jack Daniels. They're searching for fulfillment in sex. They're searching for fulfillment in partying. And listen, that stuff will never heal them. But we know what will heal them. The message of the gospel. So the Bible says that he bandaged his wounds with oil and with wine. Two things, oil and wine. Listen, God has given us the anointing of the Holy Spirit to heal broken hearts. Man, I love this. We have the power of the Holy Spirit that we can walk in and that we can operate in. And listen, I like to describe it as, it's that thing. Like you can't even like put it into words. Like there's just this thing about the anointing you know what I'm saying? Like you know when it's there, and you know when it's not there. Like you know when 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 I remember experiencing the anointing for the first time. I was in I was a teenager. I went into a church service, and I just felt different. I was like, oh, this guy's preaching. I feel weird." And he was just this back country, backwoods Alabama Pentecostal preacher that was. Spitting and sweating and shouting and running across pews, and I didn't I didn't understand it, but I remember feeling something in that moment. It was the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And listen, we as a church, as God has filled us and baptized us in the Holy Spirit, we carry the anointing with us everywhere we go, everywhere we go. Jesus said this. Carry in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Listen, we've been given power to reach the world for Jesus Christ. We've given power to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. We've been given power to cast demons out of people. We've been given power to prophesy over people. God has given us the oil and the anointing that destroys the yoke. And listen, man, I'm just, I'm in this place where I, I, I just can't live without it. Like I just can't do it. I can't live without it. You know, my my older saints in the in the room know what I'm talking about. Listen, you would go into church. There'd be shouting. There'd be praising. There'd be dancing. Sister Glendel. All of a sudden, the spirit will hit her, and you're getting hit in the face with hair ties and bobby pins. And <laughs> if you left, if you came there lost, you were leaving saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. Yeah. The preacher would get up and say, well, mm -hmm -hmm." you know what I'm saying? Like, and I know it's not about style. I know it's not about an organ or anything like that. But listen, they walked in something that was powerful. My papa was a preacher and he preached in this backwoods church. He had a church in backwoods, Alabama in the mountains in one of those places where you're at and you like lock the doors, you know what I'm saying? You're like, where am I? Lord, please do not let me break down on these mountains. Like I'll never be seen again. Like in the middle of nowhere, his church was so small. Yeah. I promise he could probably fit four of his churches in there. There's a little white building with three little baby pews, like little pews in there that could sit like three people on them. Like, where'd you get these baby pews from? Like, were they on sale? Like, what? Like, I promise you. I, I kid you not. I promise you. They didn't get working plumbing until like the late 90s. They had an outhouse. An outhouse. Yeah. Just a backwood, like, their Sunday school room, I never forget mom. I was like, yeah, this is where we used to have Sunday school. She opened it up there was a hot water heater in there and like seven broken crayons. I was like, what? They're they're sitting there like, like, you know, trying to cut on the hot water heater. But I'm telling you this, my papa, whenever I was sick as a kid, my mom would pull up, would grab the phone. It was one of the ones that were still attached to the wall with a cord. You know what I'm saying? And she said, we're calling Papa. And I'll never forget. I didn't even know what he was saying. I don't even know what he was saying. But listen, my fever would break. I would wake up the next morning and hear there was something... There was an oil there. And listen, I want to charge us as a generation. We can't do this without the oil. We can't do this without the anointing. I want that thing that when people walk in, they feel conviction for their sins. When people walk in hurting and broken and lost, God sets them free supernaturally. We've got to have the oil. And you can walk in that oil in your workplace. You can walk in that oil when you go to Thanksgiving dinner and your family's all jacked up. You can say, hey, before we eat... We're going to pray. Let's grab hands. And when you get done praying, people are standing around weeping under the power of God. Why? Because that's the oil of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And God wants to put that on you. It's the oil. He poured oil on the the wounds. The next thing that he did was he poured wine. He poured wine on the wounds. And and I, I believe that's symbolic of... The new wine of the Holy Spirit, the joy of the Lord. Just say joy right now. Joy. Listen, you know what I'm believing for? I'm believing for a movement of happy Christians. Wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> Wouldn't that be a nice thing? Wouldn't it be awesome if we sought to convert people by the power of the Holy Spirit rather than our controversial Facebook posts? <laughs> that would be fun. I tell you, this Facebook post don't convert nobody. Just stirs the pot and everybody's more angry than before. Right. I'm telling you, listen, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And I, listen, when you walk in the joy of the Lord, it is like a giant neon sign that says, Jesus is real. You know what I'm saying? Like when you're it's raining outside, as it's Florida and it rains every day around 3.05 p.m. It's like, oh, it's raining, you know? It's pouring outside and it's a Monday and you stepped in one of those big puddles so your socks are all wet and you feel gross and you're at work and you're just frustrated. You're just like sitting there like, the enemy's testing you, but you keep smiling. And your boss comes and says, hey, I need that report by 5 o'clock today, even though he told you by tomorrow. And you're just like, okay. I'm telling you, in that moment, because your coworkers know you're a Christian, they're watching you. And they're like, oh, he's about to freak out. (laughs) And you don't freak out? You know what that does? That plants a seed in their heart that says, Maybe this stuff is real. You know, I, I love talking to people and, you know, the Lord's really just impacted me with, filled me with the joy of the Lord. It's something that I'm passionate about. It's something that I want to see everyone walk in. I believe it's a, re, a reality for every believer. And I, I've come to notice people, they see it in you. When we smile, even at Publix, man, I'll be checking out. And I'll just smile at the person. And you know what the, the next question normally is? What's wrong with you? <laughs> like, What's your problem? Why are you smiling? Like, And you know what? That's a great platform for me to use. Because Jesus saved me. Jesus rescued me. Jesus redeemed me. He can do the same thing for you. And I, I work out at this gym. And... Um, there's a guy there who, who's there all, all the time. And when I'm in there, um, you know, I go, I'll go from like 6 to 7 a.m. He's just smiling. Or I'm sorry, I'm smiling. He's not smiling. He's kind of rather grumpy. And I go in there and I'm just like smiling. Like, what's up, guys? How you doing? You know, just being happy. And I don't forget, he just looked at me and he's like, man, why the bleep you smiling all the time? He asked me every day almost with the same cuss word. What the bleep are you smiling about, man? And I said, Man, God's good. God's good. Listen, when you get around these hurt and broken people and you share and they encounter the joy of the Lord in your life. And they encounter the peace of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's like, you know, when you go out, have you ever, like, not been hungry before? But then you're around somebody who's hungry and it makes you hungry? Or you go out and you smell some steaks in the distance, you're like, well, you smell that? There's an outback nearby, you know? That, that way. You're not even hungry. But all of a sudden, you start getting hungry. And man, when people get around you, they smell the fragrance of Christ. And they get around you, and you know, you're, you're hanging out with them. They're like, hey, man, you, you, know, you want a beer? And you're like, no, man, I don't drink. And they're like, well, why not? And I, I don't need to. So I found a better wine. They're like, you mean like Publix carries it? Like the Publix liquor <laughs> store? like, no, no, no. This wine never runs out. This wine's free. This wine I can have every single day when I wake up. It's Jesus, the new wine of the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, what that does is it moves their heart closer to Jesus. It causes them to desire the things of God. The last thing that happened, he gave them money. I find this so interesting because I believe this is significant because not only is it significant of him financially investing into it, but he gave something That cost. It cost him something. It cost him. He made an investment into seeing this person get whole. And I want to challenge you today. What are you investing into to see people encounter Christ? And let, let me just say this right now. This church is an amazing church that you can invest your time, your resources, your finances into. Why? Because this church is focused on reaching people for Jesus. I'm telling you, that's what Pastor Otis sleeps, lives, breathes. And a little bit of deer hunting in there, too. Like, like, literally, his, his I know his vision for this region and for this city, and it's to see people, one, for Jesus. And, and I have to constantly ask myself the question, what am I giving in order to see people encounter Jesus? What's it costing me? What am I investing into to make sure people... Because listen, it costs something. It costs taking time out of your day to go serve the homeless. It costs taking time. You might miss the football game on Saturday. You might have to cancel your fishing trip. But what is the urgency within our heart causing us to say, God, I will give whatever it takes just to see one person encounter Jesus. Worship Tim, you go ahead and come on up. I want to ask you, I just want to propose that question today. What What are you willing to pay? What are you willing to allow the cost in your personal life, to reach people for Jesus. And I'm telling you, man, now more than ever, the world needs the Lord. The world needs the Lord. And I know, I know what you might say. You might say, but pastor, the thought of me like talking to someone in public makes me want to like throw up. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like for real, like, you know, me, you know, reaching out and like, hey, can I tell you about Jesus? And hey, excuse me, sir. And you have all these different strategies in your mind. Should I be like, hey, have you ever stolen before? And they're like, wait, what? Well, what does that make you? And they're like, uh, a thief, that's what it makes you. Have you ever lusted before? And they're like, I'm going to my car. <laughs> like, you know, hey, if that works for you, keep going for it, that's awesome. But if that's not your vein, like, listen, you can do something. You can do something. And, and one of the best things i found, especially being a part of Radiant Church in Tampa, we're there for a season learning church planning. And within the past six years, they grew from just a church plant, meeting in an old movie theater to about 3,800 people within six years. The majority of those people were completely lost. Like never went to church, never accepted Christ, completely lost. And one of the things I found that they do and I've just really adopted it. Never underestimate the power of an invite. Don't feel like in that moment you've got to lead them to the Lord in the bread aisle. Now God will do that. Don't get me wrong. God will do that. But you know what? I found a lot of times just saying, hey, like you should come check out my church. It's called, a, it's called Calvary. It's right over here. You, you should come check it out. And you know what they'll do? They say, Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, I'll see. Some don't say, Well, I work on Sundays, you know. But you know what it is? It plants a seed. And I'm telling you, that if people say, well, You know, what's the secret sauce? How did you guys grow so quick? And it's because people were getting saved, and the only thing they knew to do was say, You've got to come. Uh, It's called like Philip evangelism. Philip encounters Jesus in John chapter one, and I love what happens. He encounters Jesus. I'm sorry, John chapter two. He encounters Jesus. And Jesus, I'm sorry, John chapter one. I keep on messing up. He encounters Jesus, and Philip goes and tells his buddy Nathaniel. I don't love Nathaniel. Nathaniel just goes, (laughs) because Philip's like, dude, the Messiah is here. The one we've been praying for is here, Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel just goes, (laughs) can anything good come from Nazareth? But what did Philip say? Just come and see. And I'm telling you, just by you saying to your coworkers, to your families and friends, they might say, you know, I don't really go to church. I got hurt by the church years ago and, it's just not my thing. And just so i am that just come and see, just come check it out. And I'm telling you, them coming in and filling the spirit of the lord like you do in here, it'll change their lives. Some of you, your lives were changed by somebody inviting you to church. Never underestimate the power of an invite. I stand all over the room. I'm going to pray for you. Before I do that, actually, I'm going to pray for you real quick and then I'm going to go into that. If you would, just lift your hands to Jesus. God, give us a heart for the lost. God, let us be people that fulfill the first and second great commandment that we are radically in love with you. We are radically in love with you. And Lord, because of that, We are passionately in love with people. That when we see the lost, our hearts break. When we see news clips, our hearts break. When we hear about things like the hurricanes in the Bahamas, our hearts break. God, we ask that right now in the name of Jesus. Give us your heart for people. Second thing I'm going to do... There's a prayer team here. If the prayer team go ahead and line up down here, um, I want to open this up. If you're here this morning, you say, you know what, that I'm that person. I'm not the priest, I'm not the Levite, I'm not the Samaritan. I'm actually the person who's been beat up. I've been stripped. (laughs) I'm ashamed. I'm guilty. I've been beat up. The enemy's been beating me up. I've been robbed. I, I'm in a financial storm like you would not believe. And I just I, I need I need Jesus this morning. If you're here this morning, your heart's not right with the Lord. With every head bowed, and every eye closed, right now, your heart's not right with the Lord. And you say today I want to make things right. I just want you to slip your hand up right now. Just slip that hand up right now. We're gonna to pray together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Calvary, let's pray this prayer together as a church family. Say, dear Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins so that I can know you. And I believe you were raised from the dead three days later so I could be raised to newness of life. Jesus, I give you my heart. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so I can live for you. In the name of Jesus, amen.